our Heavenly Father, for virtually all of us here, there is some familiarity in those words. And yet we know that familiarity can breed uh, contempt, Lord. So we ask that you'll give us fresh eyes this morning. Eyes to see what uh, you want to say about this world, about us personally, about yourself. Please, Lord, for every single one of us as an individual, help us to see what your word means and in seeing, to live by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a feeling it's a sign that I'm um, getting older. <clears throat> so I understand less and less young people's um, jargon. I was just getting used to the idea when so that something was, um, uh, if something was wicked, it meant it was good. When um, uh, my children had started talking about things being dry, do you know what that means? Yes, yeah, Becky does. Other parents of children do. When it's dry, something is bad. Don't ask me where that came from. Uh, I know, actually, that when some of you read um, the, the title of today's um, sermon, you will have concluded that it was actually a thinly disguised effort of a aged has-been to try and have a bit of straight cred. Um, others, um, I suspect, will have said, what on earth is dissing? Well, dissing, according to those uh, better informed than myself, is disrespecting other people. That's what dissing is. And sadly, it's very common. It's uh, actually, I think, become established in our culture far beyond a few rowdy youths on the Cowley Road. This morning, actually, and, and, and actually over the next few weeks, I want to suggest to you that, that compared to the biblical vision of a healthy society, our society encourages disrespect of other people at a very, very deep level. I want to try to show you as well how profoundly that damages us. This morning we're going to be looking at this, um, this fifth <coughs> commandment, honour your father and mother. It actually begins the, the third and last great section of the Ten Commandments, uh, most of the uh, commandments, if you look at them, begin with, you shall not. But at, at three points in the list, there's a slightly different form. The first of those points is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that is actually not in the NIV, um, put as per part of the Ten Commandments. But um, uh, in, in verse 5, it says... Um, no, it is, sorry, verse 6, it is in the Ten Commandments. Verse 6, it says, um, I am the Lord your God, or you could translate it, being the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, you shall have no other gods before me, etc., etc. Then uh, at verse uh, 12, you could translate uh, that commandment, the fourth commandment, as observing the Sabbath, you shall work for six days and not for the seventh. And then finally at verse 16, again, notice it's not the you shall not um, uh, phrase. You could translate uh, this one as honouring your father and mother, 
You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. That's uh, the structure of the, of the Ten Commandments. Let me just um, put it up for you to, uh, to, to clarify it. In other words, uh, uh, the first section, you see, containing the, uh, uh, the first co- three commandments is about living with God. The second section, which is actually just the, uh, the Sabbath command, is about the essential way that we live in this world under God. Um, Graham showed us that. We rest. We rest as an expression of uh, being like God. He rests as an expression of the freedom God gives us. And the third section then, commandments 5 all the way through to 10, is about living with other people. According to the language of the Ten Commandments, honouring your father and mother then sort of stands as a, as a summarising introduction to all the other duties we have to our fellow men and women. And to Western minds, that's a distinct shock, isn't it? Honouring father and mother seems to be one of the most peripheral of uh, commandments. Is it really as fundamental, even more fundamental, than not murdering or stealing? Actually, maybe far less of a a shock to those of us from from non-Western cultures here. Because... um, Um, most people outside of the West were brought up to believe that the extended family is the basic unit of society. And we've forgotten that by and large. I mean, let me just ask you a few questions to um, help us to see that. Um, How many of us here live in the same city that our parents did? Not bad. About quarter, perhaps a third, okay. How many of us here are worshipping in the same church that our parents did? Two, three. How many of us here are following the same Christian tradition that our parents did? You've got to make a judgment about what the same Christian tradition is. It's your parents. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Just keep your hands up. That one's, what, um, half a dozen of us? Do, uh, do, do put your, your, your hands down. You see, it's just assumed that we make decisions for ourselves. That uh, um, at best in today's society, our parents are, are relatively peripheral, certainly irrelevant when it comes to the personal decisions we make about the way that we're going to, uh, to live our lives. But um, actually, the Bible says that uh, in one sense at least, that is very, very costly to us as a society. And let me say at the, the, the outset, there are real advantages to that. In fact, it's, a, it's a, a, an insight of the New Testament that each person must be free to make their own choices, that, 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 that their decision about how they live their, live their lives is primarily um, a decision they make before God, before an audience of one. 
but uh, the extent to which we have embraced that goes far beyond what uh, the Bible would tell us, I think. We've discovered that there are real high costs in society as a result. Having set ourselves free from our extended family, actually we find ourselves rootless, homeless, alone. Many, many people, especially younger people, are isolated, wandering individuals, associating casually with others who, who they choose to walk with for a while, but essentially free-floating, like a piece of a jigsaw that never quite finds it, its place. Indeed, how can a jigsaw piece find its place when every other piece is floating free too? best we can hope to is, is to find is one attachment that lasts. That's what everyone is searching for. Now, uh, the first thing that we need to um, recognise that this fifth commandment points us to is that honour is the glue which holds society together. All the rest of these, uh, 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 of the commandments um, listed from now on are actually about dishonouring or despising who people are and what they own. The fifth commandment is, um, is a sort of summarising commandment which is, which is uh, filled out elsewhere in the Bible as, as being the centrepiece of a much broader system, a pattern that is expected of honour of other people. Just to give you one example, if um, you're taking notes for, for house groups, 1 Peter 2 verse 17 says, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honour the king. The reason that honouring father and mother is picked out as, as the key issue for the Ten Commandments then, is that actually the family in society is the key, the cornerstone of society. It's the key issue for our society. In my, in my lifetime, we've seen a major decline in the integrity of the family in, in Britain, coupled um, inevitably with a growing role for the state. Just to give you an example, we now have 30% of births in this country occurring outside of marriage. 40% of children will not grow up with both their biological parents. Soon it's going to be half the population who do not have a conventional father and mother to honour. And it is the government which is going to pick up the pieces of that. Economists are realising that the cost to the country associated with that is absolutely uh, astronomical, let alone the emotional cost of having an increasing proportion of the population which have, have no family home, no family identity, no real family, people who are lost. It's not an accident that, um, as uh, the Apostle Paul points out in the, in the New Testament, this fifth commandment is the first commandment with a promise. Honour your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy says, in the land 
Paul in Ephesians 6 extends that to say in the world. Healthy families, he's saying, help us live healthy and happy lives. Of course, there are exceptions, but in society as a whole, that is a pattern we can expect to see. That is a pattern we do see today. A few years ago, the, uh, the Church of England um, published a study of the family in Britain entitled Something to Celebrate. You may remember it because it made headlines because it suggested that the phrase living in sin should be abandoned. Sadly, I have to say that was a minor part of it, of its spineless political correctness. The sociologist Alan Storkey, who was part of the working party, resigned from it, saying he resigned not only because it failed to take the Bible seriously, but because it refused even to acknowledge the well-documented evidence of the costly tragedy of broken families in this home, in, the, in this world, in this country. And not surprisingly, in the face of so much um, spineless talk, the politi politicians have continued to forge onward with only a minority of voices saying, we cannot afford this. Just this week we've had arguments over whether homosexual couples can adopt. And I, I have to say, I have the deepest respect and sympathy for those who find themselves unable to develop happy heterosexual uh, relationships. But as a society, we just cannot afford to endorse every form of family as being equally valid. What will happen, what is happening today, is that the idea of family will actually, in reality, dissolve. And people will just become isolated individuals, associating and disassociating as they choose. We now have massive amounts of evidence of the, the real economic cost of this, let alone the, the other less quantifiable costs. Ask any economist who has done the sums and they will tell you we simply cannot afford it. Deregulating the, uh, the, the family appears to be a blow for freedom, but actually ends up with us, everyone, enslaved to the crippling cost, financial, emotional, and almost every other way of not having healthy, functioning families. One ray of uh, positive hope is a uh, political movement called communitarianism. Communitarians argue that the key to a successful society is what they call um, mediating institutions. That is, forms of association which place uh, individuals in local communities rather than simply having having nothing between the individual and the state, which at present, increasingly, we have. You'll uh, see a weak form of that thinking in, the, um, uh, in many urban development projects, if you uh, know East Oxford Action in, in, uh, um, uh, in this area, for instance, you will find them talking about developing local communities where people can associate, find healthy relationships. But actually, uh, many communitarian thinkers argue that we need to be much, much stronger than we are at the moment. They argue especially that if we neglect the family as an institution which holds people together, that gives people health, 
and we will just have an increasingly dysfunctional society that is ungovernable. Enough of that. If you want um, an introduction to the subject, I suggest you read um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' book, A Politics of Hope. What I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about, though, under this uh, title is, what does that mean for me as a personal individual? What does it mean for me to honour my parents, for instance? I think it's very significant that the... Uh, uh, the word honour is, uh, is used in this commandment because honouring takes different practical forms at different stages of life, doesn't it? Honouring uh, for, for children is obeying them, obeying their parents. But since I can't see any um, small children here, let me make a point of the flip side of that that the New Testament makes very, very clear. Just after uh, quoting this commandment in Ephesians 6, calling children to obey their parents, Paul says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, sadly, too often, parents are actually dishonoured by their children, either when those children are still small or when they become adults, because they deserve it. because they didn't nurture their children as they should, because they exasperated their children, especially sons, and, and, and being exasperated by their fathers, or, sons, or, or, or perhaps fathers is the key issue, as Paul picks out. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Fathers have a habit of being overly absent, don't they? As Rob Parsons says, no one ever said on his deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. We become intoxicated as men with the false dreams, the false idea that we are providing for the family, that we are making a better life for our children by our hard work, that uh, our ambitious personal uh, aims of promotion are really for the good of the family of all, uh, uh, as, a, as a whole. That the enormous mortgage we've taken out for our large house is, is for the children. And they'll just have to accept the fact that we have to work all the hours God gives, running desperately scared of being made redundant. Because, after all, they needed a couple of extra feet in their bedroom, didn't they? All our children want, you know, is us. Fathers, they want us. And then, uh, dads, when we do drop into our children's world, our relationship is so often all about demands, isn't it? What work have you been doing? Did you do it well enough? Have you behaved well? What, uh, uh, what have I got to uh, 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 discipline you about? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Mums, perhaps instinctively you do a bit better, but we can be, mums can be infected by the same problems as well. Remember the flip side of children honouring their parents is parents must live in a way that makes that easy.
and natural. Perhaps um, a key issue when we become adults, when both parents and children are, uh, are able-bodied adults, shall we say, is respect, isn't it? No longer is uh, obedience a key issue, but respect still is. And I know that for some of us, that is very, very difficult. I know some of the, the, the pain that we, people here, have felt at the hands of their parents. Now, let me say very clearly, it doesn't actually say like your parents. No, uh, um, uh, the Bible is talking about a commitment to respect the status of our parents as our parents. Because in fact, the cost of not doing that the cost of totally disowning them is really very, very great. It leaves us personally totally rootless, not really um, having any foundation in this world. Now, sometimes practically, some degree of distance will be necessary between us and our parents in order to continue with life. but never, ever totally disown them. There really is a big cost in that. And when our parents become elderly, the key issue becomes again differently, or perhaps elderly and infirm, unable fully to look after themselves. There the issue is provision. There's a shocking little statement in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, for instance, verses um, 3 and 8. If a widow, it's talking about caring for widows, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these, the children and grandchildren, should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <coughs> Shocking, isn't it? I mean, the rise of uh, state-run old people's home is, is, is a testimony to our collective inability as families to care for our elderly. I mean, in, in today's world, we certainly need homes of that sort. We need other forms of accommodation for those who can't look over, uh, after themselves. But I fear that we, as a culture, leap far too easily to the simple solution. Put them in a home... Let the government look after them, rather than thinking carefully about our responsibilities. That was unbelieving reflex in Paul's time, he said. 
And Christians actually should know better. I don't want to put any one of us on an unnecessary guilt trip here. There are times when a home is the best provision we can make for our infirm relatives. But I think it, uh, one of the, the key things that the Bible says about this issue is that we cannot do that simply as the first reflex. There must be a sense of our continuing, ongoing duty of care for those who are closest to us. It will not do to say we are now totally independent from them and they make their own way in the world. What does it mean for us then? Three uh, things about our, our biological family that it may do. But according to the Bible, there is a greater honour that we owe, which actually, as for Christians, puts a new slant on this whole issue. Yes, we must honour our parents, but honouring God is our first and foremost duty. And Jesus made that clear in the most brutal language, didn't he? And um, For instance, uh, here from uh, Luke chapter 12. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? He said, no, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Or Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it must be clear, Jesus is not saying Christians should no longer honour their parents. He was equally clear about that in Mark chapter 7, for instance. He, he chastised the Pharisees for allowing a, a clever tax loophole which allowed people to tie their money up in a, in a sort of religious trust that looked terribly respectable, but actually it was just a disguised way of escaping their duty to provide for their parents. He said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. And then he quotes the fifth commandment. Now Jesus is saying that we have a continuing duty to honour parents. Everything that I've said up to now stands for Christians, but on top of that we have a greater duty to follow Christ. And if, he says, as does happen sometimes, there is a direct and unavoidable conflict between the two. Jesus wins. Every time. We don't leap to that quickly. We certainly don't we use it as an, escape, as an excuse to escape our normal obligations. But following Jesus is our first duty, he says. And therefore, something extraordinary happens to our life with others. The church 
becomes our first family. That has massive implications for us, which I believe are absolutely vital for the life of any church, and of our church in particular. All over the New Testament, um, I hope in your pastoral groups you'll spend a little time looking at how the church is described as the household, the family of God. According to the New Testament, the integrity of the church, therefore, is as vital as the integrity of a family for our nourishment and nurture. Divisiveness in the New Testament is like adultery in the old. It tears the family of God apart. The only three sins for which excommunication is specifically prescribed in the New Testament are serious sexual sin, which divides families, heresy, which leads the people of God away from God, and divisiveness, because it divides churches. you're a Christian who regularly worships here, then according to the Bible, this group of people is your spiritual family. In some senses, this must be your first family. We must be a family to one another in order to nurture one another and encourage one another in following Christ. Let me say to older people, love these youngsters here as if they were your own children. To younger people, cherish your adopted brothers and sisters and parents and nephews and nieces. Learn to love them. See them not as a group of people who you casually associate with as you drift through life. You will find that deeply unsatisfying. See them as your family. Yes, we may be divided as people move on sometimes. That's a tragedy. Sometimes in the real world it, it, it has to happen. But we must sustain that sense that we are the family of God. That God has given us to, uh, to one another in as profound a sense as God gave us to our parents and then to us. A significant number of us come here come from, from other countries. Let, let, let me say to you especially, I, I know British people are a funny lot. I know that we are emotionally repressed. I know we have habits and attitudes which are very, very hard to fathom. I think... Um, most British people here are looking at their shoes with embarrassment at, at the moment. But those are trivial divides. We are united as God's people together. Make the effort to cross that barrier. We need to be God's family. And only God can do that amongst us. Let me say to you, if you're not yet a Christian here, Perhaps, I hope, you see here relationships that you envy. 
Let me say to you, that is because God's at work here. In fact, I'm prepared to be challenged. If you can find relationships elsewhere of better quality across such divides as race and age and political persuasion, if you can find somewhere else in this city where there are relationships of better quality, then go there and find out what makes them tick. We as a church here have no right to say anything to our world unless we are significantly better than the world around us. I accept that. But if you know that this is the best place to find a real family in a world of drifting individuals, then let me say to you, Christ has done it. And only Christ can do it. Let me say to you, if you follow Christ, you will have come home. You will have found the family you always longed for. You will have found where you belong, where you fit in the jigsaw. You will have found your roots and your future. No accident that we are called to honour our father and mother. That is what makes people function properly together. Let's pray. First of all, Lord, we who know you here this morning want to confess our weakness in this and ask that you would encourage us and strengthen us as individuals and together to be your family. Then Lord, for those of us here who don't know you yet or who are coming to know you but are not yet part of your family, Please, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see what others have seen first. But to follow you is to find the home, the place, the set of relationships we were made for. We ask these things in Jesus' name.